0: Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards, and today's guest is Beth Miller. Beth, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what are you up to?
1: Well, first of all, thank you, Brock, for having me uh, today. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. I, uh, I actually have a kind of um, interesting background. I actually started in finance back in the, the 80s and then uh, moved into to sales when I was working for a Fortune 500 company at, um, at the time, which was uh, Digital Equipment Corporation, which I am dating myself, is no longer. Uh, it is now the remnants uh, belong to Hewlett Packard. Uh, but that's how I ended up in Atlanta from, from the New England area was with, with digital. And I then moved into um, an entrepreneurial role with my husband. We started a accounting temporary services firm, and then um, moved into uh, computer technology consulting work. So we we actually had both of them for a period of time, then sold the accounting off and uh, grew the technology side into an Inc. 500 company. And then back in 2002, we decided to sell, uh, which at the time we were. Uh, barely 40, and and I was not ready to retire. So I found Vistage, which is a CEO membership organization. I had um, been recommended to it by um, a friend who had built his company from um, a very small local uh, consulting firm into a global consulting firm during the time that he was a member of Vistage. And he, he had said, you know, Vistage and the group that um, I was a member of was, was instrumental in my growth. So uh, that's how I got into uh, leadership development and executive coaching was uh, almost 14 years ago with Vistage. I, I stepped down from Vistage uh, last year to focus on uh, executive velocity, which is my firm. And uh, the work that we do is hiring great people. So that's assessing as well as training managers and leaders on how to interview effectively. Uh, Then it's developing leaders, that's coaching and training. I I do a lot of work with new managers that are coming up um, high potentials. And then um, the, the final area is succession planning, because I work with a lot of small, mid-sized companies. They um, they need to prepare for that next level of, of leaders coming in. So those are those are the three legs to um, to the work that I do with executive velocity.
0: All right, so there is a lot that we could go into uh, <laughs> around all of that. Um, not only are those big, broad topics, but I do kind of geek out on all of those topics. So you're getting at, at the heart of helping leaders make their companies work through their people. I mean, I'm heavily paraphrasing, but, yep. you know, times are always uncertain for businesses. You never know what the next day is going to be. Times feel particularly uncertain for businesses right now, um, feels very uncertain if you're an employee in a business, let, you know, yep. let, let alone a manager or an owner. Right now, what, what, what advice or, or what problems have people been coming w- to you with lately?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, there's there's a lot of fear in um, with employees as well as leaders. So I've been working a lot with leaders on how they can first take care of themselves, because if if they're not taking care of themselves, they they don't have the energy to take care of, of others. Uh, and and a lot of them initially in this very chaotic time, spent all their time focused on um, how their employees were doing, which which was admirable, but it was also draining their own energy. So a lot of the conversations I have centers around focusing on the leader first and um, figuring out what are the best ways and techniques that an individual leader can adopt that will help them build up their energy. So, you know, some people are are very kinetic. So, um, you know, those that exercise routine and, and making it um, something that is a routine on a daily basis. And because what I'm finding is a lot of these leaders are working even more hours now than they did in the past, uh, because they're they're at home. And there's no, there's no boundary between work and, and personal life at this point. So getting them to, to actually work out, whether it be just, you know, taking a walk or if they, you know, have uh, something in their, their house, some room in their house where they, they can do exercises. Um, that's really important. Um, then there's the, the whole aspect of of practicing gratitude and that doesn't take a lot of time it's just getting into the discipline of every day at a certain time to step back and be grateful for whether it's your health or your job or the weather uh you know whatever it is being being grateful and then finally uh there's the whole mindfulness and meditation. Um, there, there are some leaders that still are, are challenged with the idea of sitting and not doing anything and not thinking, uh, but just practicing breathing and being really conscious of, of, um, your surroundings. Um, those, those are the three things. And then there's, there's other kind of immediate techniques like uh, breathing when you get anxious, um, going to that happy place, those kinds of things. So it's been a lot of a lot of work with the leaders, and then then as we move out of uh, COVID and getting into and back into the workplace, then there's a lot of challenges around fear with with employees.
0: Yeah. So, well, let me ask you about the, the leader before we talk about helping leaders for the employees there. Um, I realize that sentence made no sense at all, but we'll just keep going. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, <laughs> but really, I mean, what, what you were talking about there is, you know, taking care of yourself, um, practicing gratitude, practicing mindfulness. How do you, how does a leader get into the place where, where they can do that? Like when you're worried about shutting down business, laying people off, making payroll... All of those things, those things really seem more important than, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm just going to go sit down by myself for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And even if they can go sit down by themselves, their brain is racing so much that Mm -hmm. it's hard to get in a productive state. So how do you help them? What advice do you have for them to be able to just understand the importance of that pause? Right. And then get their brain to a place where they can benefit from that pause.
1: Yeah. So, um, that kind of gets into you know, asking the right questions of them to self-reflect on um, how how is their their current mode of operation helping them or hurting them, and um, if it really is hurting them, which I would say nine times out of ten it is, then what are your options and what? what impact will, it, will there be if, if you don't make a change? So it's getting, it's getting into the coaching. So, but even thinking about
0: that, um, I, I'm just, you know, I imagine the pushback there of, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of struggling around the words here, but really understanding the potential cost it's easy to get your head around the cost of, well, if the business doesn't go forward, it's costing us this much money. But the cost of, well, if I don't sit and pause for five minutes, you know, on any given day, that's probably not a big deal. But when you start stringing the days together, that gets to be a much bigger deal. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how do they get to that point where they go, okay, yeah, I get this.
1: Um, Oftentimes it's, it's when they experience some sort of pain that, you know, the, the pressure is building up and um, it's their stress is impacting their relationships at home. Um, There's, as you know, we all have our natural tendencies and behaviors, some that are good and some that are bad. Um, And when we're under stress, we go, to our natural tendencies. So for instance, me, I, um, I'm highly independent. So when I am under stress, I, I feel like I need to do everything myself versus delegating and having people help me. Well, that's, that's not a good way to operate on a long-term basis. And, and I realize that. So it's, you know, it's understanding those, those triggers and then managing to those triggers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So mindfulness, I mean, you mentioned that, um, that's kind of a broad term. So how would you, when when you're defining it for them, how do you define mindfulness and for you, have you found any exercises that work particularly well?
1: Yeah. So for, um, my definition of mindfulness is being able to, when you take action, to be purposeful about the action, and to understand how that action is going to impact others. So it is a—it's a, a slowdown. It's a pause. It's. Um, it's taking that deep breath those it's it's the slowing down and being purposeful is is my my definition of mindfulness
0: and so is there a particular way or technique to be able to slow down you know like when the adrenaline's racing and all that that can be hard so yeah how do you how do you get yourself in that place
1: well, first, first of all, you've you've got to um, be self-aware of of your body and and the um, you know the racing heart or um, the the hyperventilation. You've you've got to you've got to understand how your body reacts to stress, and that's that's your sign that okay, I, I'm I'm under stress what what do I need to do to calm down? For me, um, deep breathing is, is really helpful. Uh, it's oftentimes it's stepping away from what you're doing for you know just a couple of minutes and and re-repositioning yourself. It it might in this this day and age when we're working from home a lot of us it might be you know, getting out of our, our home workspace and you know, getting a glass of water, something that, that breaks the, the feeling um, and your, your body's response
0: so um uh, so i like that that is not a one-size-fits-all solution yeah. and, and i i know that's a little hard sometimes because we all look for the one-size-fits-all like just tell me what i need to do uh, but you know we all are different we do have yeah. different stress triggers and we have different ways of getting out of it so i so i like that it's not just a, a blanket solution there now a lot of what you're touching on there i mean you're, you're talking about really knowing yourself knowing what triggers you knowing what pulls you back from the edge and on top of, I mean, so you'd mentioned that, you'd mentioned taking care of yourself. Um, another one of those things that, that can be a real challenge for those that are trying to take care of everything else around them. Yeah. yeah. So it's a broad question, but how do you take care of yourself? Like if you're not in that habit already.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, for some people would feel like that's, that's a selfish thing to do. Some people would feel like, oh, I just don't have time for that. I've got other mm-hmm. stuff to take care of. Um, so if you're not in that habit, where's yeah. a good place to start?
1: Um, getting out and taking a walk and you know, getting yourself or uh, one of the things that I do in my home office is I stand. I don't sit. so I've you know, I've got one of those um, very desks that raise, and I stand. and that that is more active for me than sitting and i make sure that i do that for the majority of the time that i'm in the office unless i'm unless i'm doing a lot of research and having to write a lot um, i'm standing so if i'm on zoom meetings or if if i'm um, you know doing emails all that is uh standing and that could be just that's that's a simple thing to to start to do it. doesn't, doesn't take any additional time.
0: Yeah. So I love those kinds of solutions. Like, you know, I was going to be at my computer anyway. So here's just a different way of being at my computer.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, There's, there's also, I had a client who um, she sat a lot, but she was really very active. And so she got um, one of those um, bicycle pedal things. That mm-hmm. you can sit on the floor and and so she would get her exercise while she was quote riding her bike.
0: <laughs> so I, I, I like the I like the I like the little things like that. Yeah. So that that's easy to do. It's not a whole change of lifestyle. It's just a little add-on, a little a little different.
1: Yeah. Uh, and they're not expensive and they don't take up a lot a lot of room. Yeah. Sit underneath your desk, you know.
0: Well, you mentioned walking. And one of the things that i found is I, like many others, switch to working from home is uh, I walk a lot less. Like, I don't get up to go talk to coworkers. I, you know, the uh, yeah. the, the bathroom's a lot closer to my computer now <laughs> than it used to be. Yeah. Um, I don't have to, you know, even just walk from my car to the building. like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's if you're not someone who tracks steps that's really easy to miss It doesn't necessarily feel like you're you're doing that less so so I like the the advice just to get out and go for a walk through the neighborhood or or, or whatever yeah.
1: I mean just uh, even just even a 15 minute walk i mean i I recommend that a lot um, in my coaching work when uh, some when I'm working with somebody who is coaching somebody else and I said you know the first thing is obviously to be uh, to have a rhythm in in your meetings and those uh, those one to one meetings. but the second thing is uh, to to change it up and and not have the meetings all the time in your workspace, but to to get out and take a walk, um, change up the venue, do it over lunch. I know you can't do it over lunch right now, but <laughs> you know, change it up. Uh, because, because the environment will, will stimulate uh, a different level of conversation.
0: So switching gears just a, a little bit here, because, uh, well, it, it ties to this, but you'd mentioned that you work with high potentials. So people who may be in a leadership role or may be on the cusp of a leadership role or may have been a leader for a while and are not ready for that next leap. Where do high potentials tend to get in their own way?
1: Oh, um, well, I, I I think part of the the challenge with with high potentials is um, that the communication to them through through the leadership is really important. If if everybody if all the high potentials know that they're high potentials, uh, if the culture in the organization is highly competitive, that could that can cause some problems within the the high potential pool. You, you know, you want, you want to make sure that high potentials are, are being developed and getting the, um, the right developmental opportunities in, in a way that's going to be collaborative and, and not competitive uh, amongst the high potential pool. So, um, you know, one of the things that you need to be looking at is okay how how are high potentials helping each other develop versus uh, becoming competitive. Uh, there's I was in one organization uh, working with them a couple of years ago where the culture was highly highly cutthroat, and so um, the the problem was is these. High potentials were, were not working with each other, but working against each other. Um, so, and, and that's up to leadership. I mean, the culture, culture starts from the top. And the behaviors that high potentials see and observe of their leaders, they will mimic. And that's, that's what was happening with, with a couple of, of the folks there.
0: Yeah, that's some painful irony, the idea that we're going to identify these people that look like they're going to be future leaders and help the company move forward. And we're going to do it in a way where they actually act as an anchor to the company. Right. So how can people stand out? Like, wh- whether they've been formally identified as a high potential, I mean, we all want to believe we have high potential. And so what can a person do in their career to, to really stand out to, to leadership, to the company, to their peers?
1: Yeah. So um, the the first thing that that I run into in organizations is understanding first the difference between a high performer and a high potential. And the the fact of the matter is, only about twenty percent of high performers are displaying high potential um, traits and behaviors. Oh, Same order that. Yes. Yeah, so, so great. Uh, great. Um, Example is the high-performing sales rep. And um, a lot of times, too many times, those high-performing sales reps are then elevated into a sales management role. And the fact is, is that they don't have the traits and characteristics of a leader. They they are... um, Highly independent, very competitive. They, they oftentimes are great externally, working with with clients. But when they come back into the organization, they can they can be toxic. They you know they're not appreciative of the people that are supporting them and helping them make the the big sale. So uh, that's that's one example. They're you know. They're not. They don't demonstrate what, what I call um, those leadership qualities, which, in it, in of itself, are highly emotional high emotional intelligence. Um, they're you know building relationships across the organization, being able to uh, be self aware of uh, their strengths and uh, and challenges. And uh, managing their emotions. I, was, I worked with one uh, last year, and she was she was probably like the number two uh, sales rep in the organization. And I was called in by the, the CEO. They were like, you know, we, we can't afford to fire her, but we can't afford to have her act the, what, the way they, that she does when she comes back into the organization. Um, she's, you know, yeah, she's pulling in a, a lot of revenue, but um, this is totally against our culture. And um, I I ended up working with her for about six months. And, and what I found in that situation was she had a lot of personal stressors that were coming out and um, so I, I worked a lot with her on uh, managing emotions and um, gain, regaining her her personal energy that she could channel in more effective ways. Well,
0: I was going to ask, you know, what, how should people de- develop themselves? What skills should they focus on? And you kind of answered that already with emotional intelligence and all that goes under that umbrella. Yeah. Now, but that's also one of those things that is a little harder to develop, perhaps, because it's not as quantitative as learning a, you know, what's labeled a hard skill. Mm -hmm. Um, And as in your example there, she had somehow been allowed to behave the way she behaved for years Mm -hmm. until she made it to a high level where it became a problem to be dealt with versus a problem to be ignored. Yeah, exactly. um, so, I mean, she's got a career of habit behind yes. her now. Yeah. So again, not as easy to change. So where's the best place for people? How do you develop emotional intelligence? I guess is the question that I'm getting to. Well, yeah.
1: well first of all, the, the good thing is emotional intelligence can be improved. Um, it, unlike um, IQ, EQ can be improved. I actually um, do training on emotional intelligence and I will use the, um, the book by Travis Bradbury, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, which um, is a I highly recommend because you can take the, an assessment online uh, twice. So you can you can take it uh, at first, then go through the training, and then six months later take it and, um, and measure your the changes. Now, granted, that is a um, self-assessment. The, the other way of, of measuring change is uh, through a 360, where you're gonna get uh, feedback from, from you know, your peers and direct reports, uh, managers, et cetera. Uh, it's the way I uh, work with leaders on changing or improving their emotional intelligence is focusing on one of the the four um, competencies. Um, Oftentimes it's that self-management and um, we put together uh, SMART goals around working to improve uh, emotional intelligence. And I also encourage them to find a mentor who is strong in that uh, trait. So if we're working on, on self-management, for instance, um, find somebody who, who has really strong skills in that area and, um, and work with them. Find out you know, what kind of techniques that they use. Um, and, and then over a six month period of time, you should if you're goal oriented and, and, you know, want to improve, you should, should see uh, an improvement.
0: Well, you know what? So one of the things I love about these conversations is I get to learn new things. Uh And so I had mentioned that, you know, EQ is isn't as quantifiable as other skills and yet, from what you just said that you are able to set up smart goals. So it is somewhat quantifiable. So give us an example of what what does a smart goal for EQ look like?
1: Well, um, if, if, for instance, we're talking about, um, uh, self-management. Okay. Yeah. What, what, um, but what the book does is it identifies a bunch of strategies that you can use to help improve. And the way we go through this is we'll identify three to five of those strategies that um, the individual is committed to doing and then create a smart goal around it. So, you know, one of the ones that we've talked about earlier was um, uh, breathing and breathing right. So, creating a smart goal that's uh, specific. Of okay, every time um, I feel stress that my my um, heart rate starts starts to elevate, I'm going to breathe. Ta- I'm going to take a minute out and close my eyes and and do some some deep breaths. Um, that that would be a, a you know a smart goal and um, and then more importantly is to then reflect after you've done it. Okay. So was that helpful? Well, if not, maybe I need to be focusing on another technique. And that's when, when I would have a conversation um, with the individual exploring, you know, what, what would be a a better technique for them to try. But it is about uh, Brock. It is about, you know, building habits and, That's, that's something that's not easy to do. And you've, you've got to, um, you know, maybe have reminders about, you know, I, easy stuff like sticky notes on your computer. Uh, There's, there's apps out there to to remind you to do stuff. I've, I've got one that reminds me on on certain things that I want to do on a daily basis. So it's not easy.
0: Well, I, I appreciate the, the idea that one, it it is building habits. So that's easy to forget. It's easy to think about as like, you know, training or just a skill versus applying that skill daily. Right. And so it is building habits. And I, and I like the idea of reflecting on it. Like, did I make progress on it? Did it even help or do I need a different plan? Mm -hmm. I think so often we, we confuse the the goal for the plan and, um, if it doesn't work, we throw it out versus just reassessing and choosing a new plan to get to that goal, mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. build that habit. So, uh, shift gears a little bit here again because you'd said that one of the things that, that you help executives do is uh, be better at interviewing, be better at selection. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: and I'm going to ask you, I guess, to kind of reverse the the advice you would give because you know we are at a time where there you know there there is unemployment, there are people looking for work. Um, and even when we 're not in a, a stressed economic time, uh, you still want to put your best foot forward whenever you 're looking for that next job, that next career move so from a candidate perspective, um what can they do to help stand out like Ooh. when they're when they're interviewing when they're applying applying you know through through the process and you know this would just be the flip side of what you 'd be asking the executives to look for
1: right yeah, well um you know obviously. I would encourage them to to do a lot of research on the company first. Uh, and when you're you know applying or reaching out for that that position. because you know some of these platforms like indeed, for instance, companies are getting thousands of resumes. So the important thing, as you say, is how to stand out and how to get that that you know first screening call. Or get called in for a, for an actual you know interview is um, to try and relate your experience, knowledge, with the company, uh, and then then I would say you know try and, and demonstrate initiative. You know companies companies that um, For instance, if you're applying to on MD, in fact I had this just happen um, a couple weeks ago. This woman reached out to me through LinkedIn and she was a a fresh grad. And she said, Oh, you know, I wanna I wanna connect with you. I see that you've got a a job opening for a customer service rep. I thought to myself, I don't have any employees. I I don't know what she's talking about. Well, what she had done was she had gone out on LinkedIn. And she had um, looked for employees of this company. Well, I'm on the board, but Mm -hmm. I'm not an employee. So I had no idea that there was this job opening. But she took the initiative and I then uh, sent a note back to her saying, listen, you know, I I see how you got my name and I will make sure that the hiring manager um, gets your information through LinkedIn. So that was a, to me, that's, that's a way of standing out, you know, going that extra mile and, and trying, you know, to, to find out who the right person is versus putting your name on, on Indeed and, and hoping for, um, for your resume to, to float to the top.
0: All right. So they, they gotten that stage down, Um, you know, how about in the, in the interview stage?
1: Yes. um, So I would um, definitely practice the star technique, which I'm sure you're familiar with where um, when somebody asks you a, a question, which generally is, hopefully is a behavioral question of, you know, tell me about a time that, Um, You had to um, figure out how to support a bunch of of customers, but you didn't have enough time. You know, how did you prioritize? Um, Then it's, okay, here's the situation or task. This is how I approached it. What did I do? And what were the results? So that... That would be uh, the technique that that pe- that companies are, are looking for.
0: Now why is that? Does that ever come across as feeling formulaic or scripted overly scripted or, or how, how can people prevent that from happening? Still still be conversational but still hit all the yeah. points they need to
1: hit? Yeah, so I, you know um, the, the example that I used uh, relating to the, the customer service, Situation. As as uh, somebody that would be answering that question, I I would just go into well, you know, I had there was a time back six months ago when um, we had a real uptick in in calls to the call center, and uh, we were short on on some um, service reps, but I. What I did was I looked at which customers had the um, the largest accounts because I knew that they they were the ones that um, were the most profitable for the company, and I serviced them as quickly as possible and then moved down the the line. The result was that um, we were able to save two of the, the large clients um, from leaving our um, our service, something like that.
0: Okay, all right. So uh, that does require okay. a bit of planning then. Basically
1: to, you're telling a story.
0: So we've got you know reaching out, helping yourself stand out, thinking through the stories that you're going to tell and, mm-hmm. and kind of making sure you have those key points in there versus being totally cut off guard and it being a random story. Right. Um, <laughs> So you, you had mentioned at, at the beginning that, you know, kind of three big areas that, that you cover are the interviewing, working uh, around high potential leadership development and succession planning. Mm-hmm. Now, who are the typical clients that show up looking for your assistance? Is it big companies, small companies, individual leaders? Who tends to be kind of that ideal client?
1: It's, uh, it's generally companies from 50 employees upwards of, 300 to 400 employees. They, they, they are. Um, they're established, so they're not like startups. Um, they will have a, a human resource manager who's generally tactical. That's um, you know keeping them out of court, uh, making sure that payroll and benefits are being done properly, um, that they've got you know job descriptions, those kinds of things. Um, but they don't have somebody that's looking at talent and leadership in a, in a strategic way.
0: You're able to come in and help them out with that piece. Yes,
1: exactly. And so it's, it can be anything from, uh, being called in where, uh, companies have had some poor hires and, um, I help them develop, uh, a a systematic hiring approach and then train the uh, managers on, on interviewing. Um, And I can also uh, bring assessments uh, to the table as well. And, um, and then there is um, leaders where, where they've got, you know, those subject matter experts and um, they're thinking about, moving them to, to um, a next level of uh, you know, kind of first-time leadership role. And in those cases, it can be uh, coaching specifically to that leader um, or building training programs for the organization um, that would be – in fact, the one I most recently did was a leadership certification program for a company that had about 200 employees – and um, they wanted to ensure that all their their uh, managers had some specific skills and competencies that uh, related to their strategic um, strategic plan. All right. Well, where can people find you? Well, I am I'm on LinkedIn, and it it's easy to find me because. My maiden name is part of my profile. So it's Beth Arm Connect, which is A-R-M-K-N-E-C-H-T, and then Miller. Um, So I'm the only one on on, uh, LinkedIn with that name. And um, then my website is uh, www.executive-velocity.com.
0: Anyway, well, it's been fabulous having you on today, Beth. One last question here is as we start to wrap up, and that is that what would your ask be for the listeners? Like professionally, you help people, but what could they do to help you? What would you ask them?
1: Oh, my gosh. So, so Brock, remember I told you I'm highly independent and I have a hard time asking for help. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good um, challenge. Yes, it is. It is a good challenge. This is Yes, this is a, a growth opportunity for me. Well, I would say that um, as it relates to, to hiring, if if you have an organization that is doesn't have a consistent hiring process, uh, it's going to in the end cost you a lot of money because you're you're going to make mistakes, um, whether it be hiring somebody uh, that doesn't fit with your your culture and your organization, or um, hiring hiring somebody um, and and making some some mistakes that could get you into trouble uh, so if you know of individuals like that um, I'd be happy to, to talk to to those folks um, and see if I if I can help them out or not uh, and then as it relates to developing those future leaders please please um, Make sure that you prepare them, whether it it means, you know, getting some training or coaching, uh, because too often I see uh, subject matter experts that are elevated into a management position, and it's like a sink or swim kind of um, scenario, and that's not being fair to them.
0: All right. Well, Beth, I say it has been great having you on today. Um, Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you, Brock. It's been a, a great time. I've really enjoyed our conversation.